to be back this week for another round of stimulating movie conversation. Tonight's show will be welcoming on Adam Long for our monthly Blu-ray release. Let me say that again. Tonight's show <laughs> will be welcoming on Adam Long for our monthly Blu-ray roundup. But first, we're going to uh, talk about a couple of things going on in the news and otherwise this past week. Uh, Venice Film Festival going on right now. And so the earliest words on several high-profile fall movies are coming around. And the, one of the big ones is La La Land uh, from the director whose last film was Whiplash. It's a kind of a m- magical, mystical musical set in Los Angeles. They say that it's, uh, I mean, first of all, across the board, pretty stunning reviews. They say it feels very classic Hollywood. Uh, at the same time, there's a definite sense of melancholy in it, and it has show-stopping numbers, uh, musical numbers, and um, Emma Stone is, is now one of the frontrunners for Best Actress, according to a couple of pundits based on mm-hmm. this performance. Yeah, that that looks extremely exciting. I was taking a look at uh, the uh, preview, uh, the trailer. Uh, I guess it's. I don't know if they've released a longer one, but the one I was looking at was a was a teaser, a one one minute thirty second teaser, which is perfectly fine. Uh, and uh, that's all I need to know to uh, and see to know that it's it's. it's going to be essential and i have to admit i got uh watching it this time uh it's probably only the second time i watched it i I did get the sort of like tingly feeling that i sometimes get when i see a preview for something that i think is possibly really going to win best picture and uh traditionally you know movies that it was in the past few years at least uh movies that uh Win Best Picture usually released before October, or at least seen before October arrives. So it's got that in its corner. But it does look it does look amazing, and they are kind of comparing it in some ways to, uh, at least in quality, uh, maybe not in manic quality, but uh, in terms of uh, artistic quality to something like uh, uh, Moulin Rouge or or even. Uh, some people have mentioned, including Jeffrey Wells, has mentioned Cabaret as, as a possible like sort of comparison. But it does look very yeah. good. And yeah, uh, I'm looking forward it, to it. Uh, he's he's a he's a big talent. Uh, that filmmaker. Yeah. Uh, what is his yeah. name? Derek. Damien Chazelle. Uh, that was so Damien close. Chazelle. So <laughs> so it would be his third movie. I mean, people. Some people are, are mistakenly saying it's it's only his second movie, but his, his first movie is also kind of a, mu- a musical called Guy and Madeline on a Park Bench. So, and uh, and so uh, so music is obviously quite important to him as a as a, an essential uh, element of his movies. Um, but the, uh, the other another one that I really want to see. Because uh, Tom Ford, uh, I mean, he he comes from the fashion world. He directed his first, his debut feature, A Single Man. What was that, like six or seven years ago? And, yeah, uh, seven. Now he's back. Now he's back with his his second movie, uh, Nocturnal. Uh, not, let me make sure I got this. Nocturnal Animals. It's a thriller 
with Amy Adams and Jake Gyllenhaal, and uh, critics are pretty wowed by this one as well. I mean, they say, obviously, it looks very good. It's drenched in mood, and it's not afraid to be uh, grisly in its depiction of violence. So it's a, it mm-hmm. seems like, at least from a genre convention standpoint, it's completely different from his debut film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, which was sort of a sort of a quiet mood piece that uh single man but uh yeah this 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 sounds good it sounds very good it sounds daring and uh in fact so both of these movies that were mentioned in their own way are, are quite daring uh it seems like i mean uh but uh yeah isn't it a relief that finally some great movies might be coming around the bed <laughs> oh my <laughs> I mean, god yeah i mean now. like yeah, I mean, you know, and of course Telluride is going on right now, so Sully has been seen and and that's uh that's getting generally uh very good reviews, although, you know, some some people some people not uh, you know can <clears throat> might seem to sort of slightly knock it for being a kind of a more uh traditional movie, like the word traditional I guess is is code for for old fashioned or whatever now, but uh, um, but give me some more old fashioned movies uh, <laughs> as opposed to the new fashion things that we've been bombarded by this yeah. uh, for these past uh, eight months. Uh, but uh, so you know, uh, but yeah, it is a relief. I mean, it, it's it's a fantastic relief, and to know that you know now we can go back to the movies without without dread. You know, of being dis- uh, disappointed. Um, and then that movie Arrival, the, uh, the other yes. big one that people are talking about, the sci-fi movie from uh, Denis uh, Villanueva, who's now shooting Blade Runner too. Uh, I mean, the tr- the preview on that looked amazing as well, and then uh, by all accounts, the critics think that the movie follows through on that promise, which is good. Yeah, I mean uh, that movie is uh is turning out to be um uh for some to be kind of a a mind bender and that uh, it might um it might require a couple of viewings to uh to get its um its full implications and 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 plot um machinations. But um yeah, that's going to be that's going to be interesting too. I mean, you know, for me the 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 preview to that kind of I think because they're trying to get people in the seats, the preview of that kind of hit a lot of point points that uh, you see in a lot of alien visitation movies. Uh, so I I hope that uh, the film is going to be, and I understand that the film is uh, quite uh, quite a bit more complex than uh, what we're seeing in the preview. But uh, but yes, I mean it's always uh, it's always he's. He's well, turned into and I a think filmmaker. This, is an, a- this yeah. is an alien invasion movie where, you know, no buildings blow up. Yes. Uh, so that um, makes it different right there. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, uh, some people have, uh, you know, kind of uh, related it to something like, you know, uh, The Day the Earth Stood Still, um, which mm. is, that's fine. That's fine with me. Um, as long uh, as it's not a remake. Yeah. <laughs> but the uh, Hacksaw Ridge They just premiered Hacksaw Ridge Which is Mel Gibson's directorial effort Starring Andrew Garfield About a pacifist during uh, I believe it's World War II I'm not sure But um, 
they say that it rises on the strength of his direction. He's always been a very good director. And, of course, you know, the headlines on reviews for anything that Mel Gibson does, <clears throat> they always kind of begin with, it could be his comeback. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know. I mean, I've only read one review of Hacksaw Ridge so far from Hollywood Reporter. But, I mean, they dev- they devote a paragraph or two to his past incidents, his past controversial incidents. Can we just kind of settle Put into that the fact aside. that we all, we all know about that? <laughs> yes. You know, like, it's, it's yeah. I mean, I, you definitely don't need to devote a paragraph to, in your review to it, because uh, that's... Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, you know, on our on this show, we do talk a, a little bit about people's, um, you know, uh, directors or actors' uh, private lives and their picadillos occasionally, but that's not really what we're interested in. We're of course interested in the work. So, um, on that level, well, he he was uh, th- th- this writer was mentioning it as like uh, a timeline of just telling us what happened. Years ago, mm-hmm. uh, not not in any way that tied into anything of relevance to the review, other than yeah, he's been troubled. This is a, five years ago, he was arrested for this and sued for that, and it's like we know that. What are you, Us Magazine, or are you, you know reviewing what? a movie for Hollywood Reporter? I do, I do have to wonder though. You know, there, to to think about it on their side, you know, <clears throat> somebody who was, you know. 12 back then didn't know about that stuff but might be 17 or 18 or 19 now and more interested in movies and more so it's possible you know you can make it's possible that someone who is in that position might not know about that stuff that's as far as i can go with like justifying it because uh you know uh yeah i mean but i think that they i really think that they should just Stay away from all of that stuff and just say, you know, he's had some past troubles, but, you know, that's fine. But, uh, I, well, I it's don't like, it's I don't necessary. remember, like, years ago, every single, every single George Jones album that came out, them saying, you might recall that he was arrested for beating up his wife, Tammy Wynette. Exactly. But, exactly. But onto the album. <laughs> that's a weird yeah. analogy. <laughs> but but that's pretty true. Random. You're right. You're absolutely right. But they, they didn't. They, they did not do that. So or, or you know Sly Stone or somebody like that. So you know. But uh, you know what can you say? I mean, uh, let me tell you something. Else, Mel Gibson related. Uh, he has a relatively new movie. I was kind of dumped into theaters for just like a kind of a. Two weeks and no one really talked about it, but uh, I I saw it recently on video uh, called it's called Blood Father. Uh, it's not directed by him. It's directed by uh, uh, John Francois Richet, whose career I really don't know much about. By the way, but, uh, that was the original title of the uh, Passion of the Christ. <laughs> <laughs> that would be perfect. Uh, yeah, it's a strange title, I, I have to say. It, it kind of initially kind of put me off, but I took a look at it, and it's a very good movie. It's actually quite good. Um, it's got a really terrific screenplay, uh, and uh, 
Gibson plays a uh, sort of a well a recovering alcoholic and a former uh, former uh, prison denizen who uh, is now living alone uh, out of his trailer in the middle of nowhere uh, uh, and conducting sort of a, a ta- uh, you know a hirsute kind of tattoo business out of his trailer. And he gets visited by his uh, daughter, who's uh, gotten herself into some trouble, played by Erin Moriarty. She's very good. And uh, she, uh, and basically he tries to get her out of that trouble uh, when she's, uh, you know, she's uh, tracked down by some, by the bad guy she's running from. And uh, it's, uh, it's, it's very good. It's extremely entertaining. Very short, you know, like you know, a ninety-minute movie. Uh, but uh, uh, not only is it exciting at moments, it's always surprising. It's always, uh, it's always, uh, it's you know, constantly funny. It's got a good, good dose of menace in it uh, from uh, some of the um, bad guys, you know, Diego Luna, and uh, Michael Parks has a great. Uh, you know, um, num- I'd say you know uh, th- three or four scene uh, supporting bit as uh, one of Gibson's former friends uh, that uh, is now making his money selling Nazi memorabilia, and uh, Dale Dickey, who's uh, I guess most recently been seen in uh, uh, Hell or High Water. She's the first person you see in that movie. She's the uh, the bank teller that first gets robbed, and uh, and also people will remember her as one of the villains in uh, Winter's Bone. She's in it, and uh, William H Macy plays uh, Gibson's best friend and uh, and a a um, counselor or uh, uh, sponsor, and uh, he's he's good in it. Uh, and you know, it's just a very strong movie. What can I say? You know, I mean, it's uh, it's well, not going to win any Oscars or anything. Uh... You said that it was surprising, and I, I mean I see that Adam's on the line. We're going to pick up Adam in just a second, um, but you know Mel Gibson. We want to see him in a movie like this, a revenge uh, thriller, you know, more or less. But as a genre, those are pretty standard, uh, cliched affairs. So what's surprising about this one? I you know what's surprising about it is the is the relationship uh between the estranged daughter and, and uh Gibson's character and also the um the sort of frank uh talk about uh his you know the fact that he's playing an a, a former alcoholic who's now deep into recovery is is I think a kind of a, a veiled commentary on his own troubles uh in real life and uh, so that's kind of a surprising and revealing thing. There's 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 lots of regret in the movie. Uh, in fact, it's really driven by that. Uh, and uh, so it's not just a, you know, we got to kill the bad guys movie. It's got a lot of emotion in it, uh, and uh, I think real emotion that he's really tapping into. Um, and uh, so that's that's really the surprise to to me. To me, that's the the thing that's out front in the. And the um, other uh, the other stuff is is background stuff to me, but uh, right. it's the dialogue. It's the you know even the Michael Parks stuff is very uh, very good, and uh, I mean he's somebody that I'm always happy to see in a movie, uh, even if he's only in it for a couple of scenes. 
Uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's that it's, it's not taken. It's not, uh, it's not that it's not anything like that. Uh, I mean, you know, it isn't in that it's a, you know, uh, it has only superficial, uh, similarities to, to these, you know, old guys kicking ass movies, but, uh, uh, it's really the humor and the emotion and the regret, I think that really, really resonates. So, yeah. Well, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about an event you went to this weekend, but first let's bring on Adam. So he's not holding on forever for us. Yes. <laughs> hey, Adam. <laughs> hey, Adam. Hey, guys. How are you? Pretty good. Yeah. Uh, I, know, I know you both go to conventions quite a bit, uh, and... Uh, you know, this weekend in Atlanta, I guess by the time this airs, it'll probably be over. But this weekend in Atlanta is uh, one of the big conventions in the nation, Dragon Con. And mm-hmm. uh, our cohort and uh, video maven, uh, Rich Gedney, uh, uh, endeavored to sign us up for press coverage to uh, to the event. So I went for a couple of days, Thursday and Friday. It's really it really started on Friday uh, um, and goes from from it went from the se- second to the uh, to the fifth, um, so it'll end uh, on Monday. Uh, and um, but it was really it's gotten so huge that it's really kind of taking over the day before too, and even possibly the day before that. So it's really I I predict by in ten years it'll be a seven day event. Uh, but uh, at this at this point, it's it's only four, uh, really five, and uh, so I went for the first two days. And um, uh, first of all, I want to say that some some of the uh, it's a tremendous event, of course, for uh, for genre fans, particularly science fiction fans. I didn't see much horror. There's a little bit here and there, but uh, it's really an event for science fiction fans and to a certain extent, fantasy fans. But it, it really does cover the gamut of um, interest. I mean, there's a you know the various tracks that they have are you know like a you know uh, literature tracks and uh, uh, classic um, classic film tracks. Uh, uh, they had a track on podcasting. They have a track on filking, which is you know this kind of uh, ancient folk singing, uh, uh, cosplay. I mean, really, to me, it's kind of an event that's really controlled by cosplay in some ways because it is really, it's almost like the hugest costume party you've ever been to. And uh, you get a sense that people have been working on these things for quite a while. Uh, and uh, there's just uh, every single sort of costume uh, imaginable there. There was a the first night I went, there was a huge cabal of people dressed as Amish. I mean, like 60 people, you know, drinking, dressed as Amish and drinking out of flasks and stuff. So uh, uh, that was kind of interesting. Uh, you know, I, you know, it's, uh, you know, R2D2 is going around the. Uh, I mean, an amazing R2D2 was going around the. Um, the floor of the uh, Hyatt Regency, you know, greeting everybody with beeps and boops and mm-hmm. uh, just incredible detail on this this thing. Um, 
As far as by the way, I, I uh-huh. would love to attend the Amish convention. I think that would be great. Like, you know, you can have, <laughs> like you know, where they get have to a go out the and cows, uh, yeah. milking the cow panel, uh, sewing buttons. I'd just panel. like to go with them. I'd like to go with them on the Hell Springer thing, you know, where they where the kids get released uh, out into uh, the wild and go out and get drunk and everything just to see if it's for them or not. I think that would be interesting. They did a documentary about that a few years ago. But uh, it's uh, it's a great deal of fun for a lot of people. Uh, um, for me, a little bit less so because uh, I, I really don't – if you don't like huge crowds crushing, you know, all over the place, you know uh, – and you're you're not going to dig it and uh that's really not my thing i kind of try and avoid that kind of thing uh that's not the kind of thing you usually get at like film festivals and so forth you know where you know there's a little room to breathe and for me it was just a little bit too much but uh but for fans they're just having the greatest time we uh, as far as people that we talked to, we got to talk to uh, uh, Alan Tudyk, and uh, uh, well, Alan Tudyk has a new show that he's directed and produced. It's, it's, it was actually released in the fall of 2015. It's a web series that's fantastic. Uh, I really recommend it to anyone out there. It's called Con Man, and it really follows his. Uh, he's play, basically playing a veiled version of himself. Uh, of course, he was uh, one of the crew members, the pilot of uh, Fire in Firefly, the Joss Whedon one season uh, smash not smash not hit show. Uh, but uh, and uh, he's he's also tremendously uh, prolific in the um, in the voiceover world. I mean, he's every every major uh, well, not every, but a lot of major uh animation and even video games uh have his voice uh behind them um so uh so the show uh, which is again extremely funny uh has um has him uh you know going to conventions dealing with fans in sort of a kind of a way that like uh he kind of there's there's love for his fans uh, displayed in the show, but there's also a little bit of that kind of Woody Allen Stardust Memories kind of thing going on in it, where it's like, Ugh, I don't know, I can't take this for very much longer. I don't, you know. So it, it, it's also kind of honest about uh, the fans and and perhaps uh, perhaps some of the things that might irritate him about them. But uh, Nathan Fillion is in it, uh, his uh, his um, Firefly cohort. Uh, Mindy Sterling has a tremendous, uh, uh, she's an older actress, uh, she has a tremendous uh, role as a uh, as her as his uh, sort of manager agent. But uh, Henry Rollins is in it for a few episodes. Uh, Felicia Day, uh, who's very funny, is a sort of a con assistant assigned to him. And uh, Will Wheaton's in it uh, uh, for a couple of episodes. And a really funny uh, supporting turn by Leslie Jordan, who's a character actor I had never really uh, seen before. But he's had a long career. But he uh plays a he's a very diminutive sort of guy and uh, he's got a 
really thick southern accent and and he's obviously uh he's a homose he's obviously homosexual and he plays a guy uh, he plays himself in it uh and he he uh he says he's not really homosexual he just uses the homosexual thing to get women into bed which is a funny concept um anyway the show is available on Amazon uh Prime and all sorts of outlets, and it's 13 episodes, so it really amounts to the time that, you know, it, uh, each episode is like 12 minutes long. It was lo- totally crowdfunded, by the way. It got 46,000 contributions to uh, fund it, and it ended up getting $3 million, and uh, uh, they, they're they launching a game. That was really – we went to a um, press conference where uh he and uh, I, uh the head game designer uh they're designing a uh a sims like uh game uh that you can download for free uh and uh it's uh basically you're you're not you're the world that you're building is uh the world of a convention of a science fiction convention so uh and they also had with them another of the show's co-stars Nolan North who's an absolute superstar in that in that realm of uh video game voiceover which i mean when you look at his credits it's like wow this guy must be a <laughs> this guy must be a zillionaire he must be a a superstar in terms of video games because he's really has his voice in almost it, it looks like every one of them but um so he was there, and we t- we talked to them, and you'll be able to see that on YouTube once uh, Rich is, uh, has uh, edited it all together. Uh, we also uh, did talk to uh, Brian Henson, Jim Henson's uh, son, who's now con- sort of the the head of the uh, Muppet Empire, and uh, and this is a little out of our wheelhouse, but we talked to. Uh, one of the stars of Farscape, Gigi Edgeley, and uh, and the stars of um, of a movie called uh, of a TV show called Dark Matter. So all of those will be available in Rich's other uh, uh, convention. Additional convention cover- coverage will be available sometime this week on our YouTube channel. So, uh, but it was it was it was an interesting thing. I haven't gone to a convention in probably 18 years. And certainly not to this. And the last one I went to was this convention. Uh, and uh, Dragon Con back then was a lot less crunched uh, with people. So I was a little bit shocked by it, to tell you the truth. I, I do recommend going to Dragon Con if you if you want a raucous good time and you like sci and you love sci-fi. This is the that's the place for you. Be prepared to see about a billion people there. <laughs> Eighty thousand to be more exact, which is a lot. So wow. YouTube.com slash Movie Geeks United, uh, you can find all of uh, Rich's coverage there, and and we appreciate Rich uh, doing that for us. So Adam, tell me, what terrible fucking movies do we have coming out on Blu-ray? And then <laughs> <laughs> if you cut out all the bad movies from this list and just had the good movies, how long would we be talking? This is true. Yeah, this, this is a good point. 
Well, well, first, before we even get going, I, I mean, i got to tell you guys, I'm glad you're having me back. Um, you know, since I gave a, a positive review to Don't Breathe and, uh, and uh, Dean had to go out and spend uh, his money on the ticket, so... So uh, I'm glad you guys. So you heard last you heard last week's show. Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. But um, anyway, but we will get down to the uh, the Blu-ray stuff, and I, there's you know some questionable ones here, of course, as usual, but some uh, pretty high ratio of good ones, I would say. Um, we'll start with go all the way back to August second. And we're going to cover the whole month of August, of course. And uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers um, was issued by Scream Factory, the 1978 version we're talking here. Um, and it's been issued before on um, MGMUA, uh, did a Blu-ray of it several years ago, probably about 10 years ago or close to it, right, right at the beginning of the Blu-ray format. And so Scream Factory has licensed a bunch of MGMUA titles. Uh, Carrie is one they're doing in about a month, I think, or a month and a half. And uh, they're doing a 4K restoration on that. And and so I'm, I'm kind of with some new extras also, so I'm excited about that, obviously. What, but, what did you guys uh, – you guys probably love the uh, the uh, invasion of the body snatchers that Phil Coffin did this version. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, do you like it better than the original? It, I do. It, I actually do. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's a, <clears throat> it's it's a lot more complex movie. Yes. Uh, yes. And uh, it's it's not as, uh, it doesn't uh, it's it's not as you know Cold War flavored as the other one is. Yeah. This, this has more of a seventies uh, a seventies me decade kind of. Uh, Mm-hmm. You know, est kind of quality to it, you know, yeah. <laughs> whatever. Uh, so well, that's one uh, of the I things that it. I like most about it is mm. that it takes place in uh, San Francisco in the '70s, which yeah. is the place where everyone went to be individual, like where everyone mm. went to be their own person. And, and the horror of the movie is in that being taken away from people. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was close. Yeah, that was a clever retake on it. So I mean, it's it's interesting. I mean, I, I the 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 original I think works better as a sort of a horror sci-fi movie in a way. Mm-hmm. But the second the remake kind of works better as a kind of a personal drama almost. Uh, uh, although it does have some horrific moments in it, uh, definitely. I mean, the ending is is <laughs> is. Uh, it, you know, seared into my brain somehow. Uh, something about mm-hmm. <laughs> Donald Sutherland pointing at that camera and mm-hmm. everything is pretty. Is pretty. Uh, and the dog, you know, the dog that comes up oh, with yeah. the man's head. That's 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 horrendous. Yeah. I love uh, uh, Veronica Cartwright in it. Uh, she, mm-hmm. She's yes. a she's a great presence of. She's always a great presence of like complete nervousness, and mm-hmm. uh, and uh, of course Jeff Goldblum is great in it too. Yeah, and, uh, well, and and they made several remakes of it. Uh, it seems like one of those very pliable concepts that you can fit into kind of any decade that we're living in. Yeah, but, uh, that's what makes that concept so unique amongst uh, sci-fi films. But the um, Body Snatchers was I thought was good too from Ferrara in the early nineties. Yeah. yeah, it's not uh, bad. But the the invasion the invasion was not. 
<laughs> yes, <laughs> that's the one that failed. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's yeah. But, uh, but I think they'll remake record, it though. again. <laughs> they should. I think they, they should. should. I think they should remake it again, but uh, center it in on the Trump campaign. <laughs> there you go. That's I think that would be good. Uh, or just or just social media, <laughs> or just, just politics social media alone, or something. Yeah. 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 Well, appar- apparently in this uh, this new DVD set, there's an interview with Veronica Cartwright where she claims that she had no idea how they were going to wrap the movie up. And when she came out there to uh, shoot that final scene where she meets Donald Sutherland and he opens his mouth, you know, and he points. And uh, mm-hmm. she says that was genuine surprise because she did not see that coming. She had no idea that he mm-hmm. was going that he was one of them. So her reaction on camera is genuine, she says. And, mm. this, and these extras, which is kind of interesting, but um, but there's well, there's and she some, said uh, the same thing about the uh, everyone said the same thing about the chest bursting scene in Alien too. Yes, uh, they didn't yeah, expect true. that. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> I think they. Yeah. I think the directors who've worked with her, and I, I also thought she was ter- tremendous in in uh, George Miller's uh, Witches of Eastwick, and oh, yeah. also in the Right mm-hmm. Stuff, uh, the mm-hmm. another. Phil Kaufman, Phil Kaufman. Yeah. but uh, I I think that the directors uh, take advantage of that uh, that jittery quality that she has, mm-hmm. and uh, and like probably like to spring things on her. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> so but it, yeah, uh, it, yeah, it works. Yeah. But yeah. The the new set uh, has a has a new transfer, and it has. Uh, a couple, some new extras on here. They do port the old uh, Philip Kaufman commentary from the old MGM Blu-ray on there, but they but they bring another one in here with um, film historian Steve Haberman, and uh, there's um, uh, you know a couple of featurettes. There's one with Ben Burt talking about the sound effects, and uh, there's one with uh, Danny Zietlin talking about his uh, score for the film. Which interestingly enough, he never scored another film. That was the only film he ever he ever scored was Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and it's a very weird score, but very effective at the same time. So it's, uh, and they have W. D. Richter on here, um, giving his, uh, talking about adapting the original novel, and uh, you know, talking about the differences between the the novel and the um, the plot of the the film's themes. So anyway, it's probably worth it if you, especially if you don't have the old MGM, and uh, if you want the, the, these new extras. So there you are, Invasion of Body Snatchers. So we'll start I remember W.D. I, I remember W.D. Richter. Um, did he do Buckaroo Banzai as well? Did he write he that? Did. Yes, he he did. Yeah. Which is, I remember, interestingly enough, another release this month. But we'll get to that later. <laughs> well, I I remember approaching him for the summer of '84 and coming on uh-huh. to talk about Buckaroo Banzai, and him sending back an email that says said something to the effect that he's sick of. Talking about it, if I want to write down some questions, he'll write down a response to them. And I was like, you know, we're a podcast; we can't necessarily do that. So we, you know, we got Peter Weller instead. Mm. <laughs> just, just fine. We have um, uh, Kino uh, issued Rawhide, and I'm not talking about the TV series. I'm talking about the 1951 film directed by Henry Hathaway, and uh, has. Um, um, I, it's one I'm really not familiar with, but it's it's a western Tyrone Power and Susan Hayward. But uh, if you're a fan of either one of those, you might want to look and it up. Written written by uh, Dudley Nichols, one of the great screenwriters. So mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I, I like that they're really. It seems like they're releasing more westerns. 
uh, only yeah. westerns on here, and I, I, on on Blu-ray and uh, I guess DVD's dead, but uh, um, I think that's probably because other than sci-fi uh, and horror fans, mm-hmm. uh, there uh, the people who are still buying, uh, you know, this physical copies of movies are uh older people and uh these older people are huge western fans so but i think it's good that they have uh, their and it's got a tremendous supporting cast i mean dean oh, yeah. jagger Ed, edgar buchanan jack, jack elam mm-hmm. uh, uh hugh marlowe jeff corey i mean just those kinds of people that you see in uh, lots of westerns but mm-hmm. uh of that era but so that yeah. sounds good well, the same company, Kino. Kino's doing most of this, by the way. Kino Lorber, they're doing a really good job. And 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 while I'm on the subject of Kino, before I forget it, uh, they have just acquired the Paramount back catalog, by the way, in the last month, which will make them even more of a player in the uh, the releasing of these catalog films. Because Olive was doing handling some of the Paramount catalog, Warner Brothers was handling the rest of it. Warner Brothers had uh, licensed 6,000 titles, and I think they wound up issuing less than 1,000 of those. In mm. the, um, They did it for, I think they had a four-year licensing deal on it, and so now their agreement has has, has basically uh, gone away, and Kino is very aggressive about releasing product. I mean, they're releasing 12 to 15 releases a month, so I think we're going to get yeah. some really good stuff from Paramount in the coming months. So just for a heads up to be on the lookout for uh for Kino and they do a really good job with with some of the stuff. Uh, they tried their best. To, do you know how many yeah, uh, they, you know how many copies they press of each title? Um that's interesting you mention that because uh they they don't they do not uh acknowledge exactly how many. But I just listened to an interview with uh, Nick Redman from Twilight Time, who uh, started the company, and he did an interview um, on a show this uh, recently, and I was listening to it last week, and he, he kind of, there was a lot of uh, illuminating uh, conversation with, with him that, that uh, I learned some things I didn't know, and one of the things was he says that Basically, all of them are releasing around three to five thousand copies of these titles. They're just not advertising it. His company is the only one that's actually, um, you know, coming mm-hmm. out there and saying it right off the bat. Hey, you know, we're we're putting out three thousand copies, and he said, but that's what the majority of them are doing. But he says, unless except for the big titles like Fright Night and even you know a lot of these horror titles like we're always talking about, those are the ones that keep them in business because. A lot of the other titles, uh, he says, they'll be lucky if they sell 500 copies of them, mm. and uh, mm. you know, 500 to a thousand. Um, in fact, they huh. they had they had and and another interesting tidbit, and you guys will appreciate this, I think, is that uh, uh, the, you know they have most of the Woody Allen catalog at Twilight Time, and uh, they have currently, I think, issued I think mm, I'm thinking seven, eight titles, and they got Stardust Memories is on the way. And so the only uh, the the only involvement that Woody has with them is that he has approval of the artwork of the of the covers, and so they have to send the the covers by Woody for him to approve. And then he so they said that they've never had a problem with Woody, except when they decided to issue Broadway Danny Rose, which if you guys remember, uh, Mia Farrow is on the front of that original artwork, and uh, she's in she's in there, you know. 
And uh, so they sent the artwork to him, and they got a note back, and he, and all the note said was, uh, "Get her off the cover." <laughs> well, that's interesting because they, I've seen, uh, you know, the original poster, which is one of my favorite right. posters, is just of uh, Broadway Danny Rose's office door. Uh, right. But I've seen other versions of that poster uh, that I I think the studio maybe had said, Let's, can we put out a style B that has the door open and behind it is a shot of, uh, you know, Woody and Mia tied up, or, you know, doing the wriggling thing, you know. That That's the one it that was, one yeah. Thing. That's the and, one. And uh, uh, yeah. I always said, boy, they really screwed that up. I think he probably just wants them to stick to the design of his original posters, which I'm sure he has a hand <laughs> in, uh, because they, they, they're so, uh, they're so uh, simple and, and, uh, and kind of elegant uh, most of the time. So uh, yeah. they, yeah, so, so that's interesting. Yeah, it was very interesting, and also they have an ongoing relationship with Oliver Stone, a personal relationship with him too, which I did not know because Warner Brothers is very protective of their catalog, as you guys probably know. They, you know, they've just recently started licensing out titles to Criterion, and that has has basically been like pulling teeth for Criterion to get them to agree to that. And there is one Twilight Time title that's from Warner Brothers, and it's Heaven and Earth, the Oliver Stone film. And that was because Oliver put the pressure on um, Warner Brothers to let them have it because they mm-hmm. weren't going to do anything. Uh-huh. And so he actually he was so happy with the job they did with um, U-Turn and uh, Salvador that he wanted Heaven and Earth out there. And so he, he basically put the squeeze on Warner Brothers, and, uh, and, and that's how it got out there. And that's the only Warner Brothers title that they have in their entire catalog, which I thought was, was quite uh, interesting as well. Yeah. So... Uh, Anyway, these the behind and and you guys are always asking about the masters on the Twilight Time stuff, and I will just briefly tell you this too. I found out that uh, they basically take the pre-existing masters, whatever they have to work with them. They don't do the remastering themselves. They, whatever the studios have done with these titles is what they wind up with. So, and I found out that the Sony uh, archives, they have a guy that works there full time archiving all of their stuff all of their titles in 4K. His job is to just constantly... So every title in their library, if it's not already, it's eventually going to be in 4K. Uh, so every master that they get from Sony is is, is as high as it... You know, the, the quality is as good as it's going to get at this point. But uh, they have other... The other titles from United Artists and 20th Century Fox are the ones that are sometimes problematic because they haven't taken as much care with theirs. And they said they've been offered some titles that they can't accept because the masters just aren't up to Blu-ray, um, you know, transfer. Mm-hmm. And they can't, okay. they, they literally, there are a lot of great titles, and they, and they wouldn't go on to mention what they were, but there are a lot of great titles that they can't actually put out there because the uh, the studios just don't care anymore. And, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, really, what a, and what a shame because what a rich history that a studio yeah. like Fox has. Yeah, exactly. And I, I was wondering why a lot of the Ken Russell films, which are United Artists titles controlled by 20th Century Fox, they've yet to be released in high def. And I'm talking about, you know, uh, like The Boyfriend or The Music Lovers or any of those things he did in the early 70s, which I have a real fondness for. And, I, and they've yet to do – and I, that's probably why. That probably explains why that hasn't mm. happened, So, um, mm. and, among many other ones. Uh, mm. So 
anyway, so that's those are a few little tidbits I learned about uh, what goes on with these boutique labels and and how they uh, how how they come about. So anyway, but moving right along with other titles, uh, Mark of Zorro from 1940. That's another Kino title, by the way. And another uh, Tyrone Power. Right? It is. It is. Yeah. So they they issued that one and. Uh, VCI Entertainment has issued The Night Visitor with Max von Sydow, Liv Ullman, Trevor Howard from 1971. That's a, that's a that's an interesting uh, that's an interesting release, uh, a film that I've never seen, but I have some ads for it and mm-hmm. in my collection, and uh, it's got a very striking uh, a striking image of a face coming out of a wall, and I'm like. Max von Sydow is in this. Wow, and, yeah. and Lee Volman. Wow, uh, yeah. that's interesting. Yeah. Oh, and I, by uh, the way, uh, you know, we we should talk about this. This is a little off topic, but mm-hmm. uh, uh, I was pulling uh, last weekend for von Sydow and and Ullman to win the honorary Oscar, and of course this week it was announced that uh, the uh, recipients for the honorary Oscars are as follows: uh, Anne V. Coates, the uh, editor of many uh, David Lean movies. Uh, uh, she also uh, she won she is one of uh, Oscar uh, in '62 for Lawrence of Arabia, but she's done a whole lot of stuff since then, and is uh, still active. And so she was uh, tapped as uh, an honoree this year. Uh, my favorite choice uh, is the inclusion of Frederick Wiseman, the incredible documentarian who's oh, been yeah. doing basically a movie a year and, uh, since 1967 and has probably covered uh, more facets of uh, human activity than uh, almost any other uh, documentarian and does it with a, a sort of inimitable kind of fly-on-the-wall kind of quality mm-hmm. uh, to the point where his movies will almost, you know, are, uh, casually go up to four or five hours long, you know. Yep. Um, uh, but uh, I thought that was superb. I can't think of anybody uh, more deserving. Uh, also, they uh, gave uh, – let's see, who who else was in there? Um, oh, Lynn Stallmaster, the mm-hmm. uh, casting director – which I have a little bit of a problem with, and that most casting directors have been women. Uh, as the, you know, of course, the big one is Marion Doherty, who passed away a few years ago and was kind of the central, uh, central figure in a documentary about casting called Casting By. Uh, mm-hmm. Came out a few years ago, uh, and uh, but, you know, congratulations to Mr. Stallmaster, who's 90, and I think it's. Uh, I think might be retired, but uh, uh, he he's obviously a big uh, yeah. big figure in that world, and it's nice to see that's the first Oscar ever giving given to a casting director. Mm-hmm. Um, and finally, the big one that probably surprised everybody, but I thought it was a very creative choice. I seen some people go, "Why did they do that?" But uh, and the big one is, of course, Jackie Chan, uh, mm-hmm. who. In my opinion, he's getting the award mostly for his stunt work, I would say, than than, than for the quality of his direction. Uh, but he's, uh, you know, obviously still one of the biggest action stars out there, and uh, 
and uh, I, I'm very happy to see that he's he's uh, included. Uh, they don't give many Oscars to Asian actors. Uh, Jamie and I were talking the other night and trying to figure out the ones of uh, the past, and uh, I mentioned the only one I could think of was Hang S. Noor for The Killing Fields, but they also gave one to Miyoshi Yumeki for uh, for Sayonara back in the mm-hmm. uh, back in the fifties. Yeah. Yep, but, and all uh, I could think of was Ricky uh, Mickey Rooney. <laughs> <laughs> Not nominated for uh, for Breakfast Activities, but uh, definitely one of the most painful parts of watching that piece. But uh, <laughs> yeah, we we got into a big conversation about. White people playing Asians. So uh, we mentioned, you know, uh, Marlon Brando and uh, Tea House of the August Moon, and and uh, Louise Rayner, uh, who won an Oscar, one of her Oscars for The Good Earth, mm-hmm. playing a Chinese woman. Uh, so, and uh, and also uh, Yul Brenner, who's uh, we had to like sort of figure out that he was actually. By birth, he's Russian. I think I would say more than anything, he's Russian with with a few other things thrown in there. But of course, he won his Oscar playing uh, playing the King of Siam in uh, The King and I. So, mm-hmm. and then but anyway, uh, then of course you had uh, Renee Z- Zellweger in uh, Bridget Jones' Diary. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Adam, what's that? <laughs> Very good. Oh, well, for those who, uh, I don't know how many of us remember this or want to, but, uh, you know, there was a tele- made-for-television miniseries that tried to capitalize on the Titanic uh, movie before it came out. So they're putting that out, believe it or not. The epic miniseries event, The Titanic, is putting issued by Mill Creek Entertainment with George C. Scott, by the way, and Catherine Zeta-Jones. So Catherine uh, Jones is in that. She is. She that is. must be one of her first things that she ever did. Yeah, and it's one of George C. Scott's last. Isn't that interesting? So, ah, that is so, interesting. Yeah, well, I mean, but, there's definitely a there's definitely an audience out there for that. Yep. So, I was wondering so, when they were going to do that. Frankly. Well, it's out. It's out there. Okay. So. Uh, and one title I failed to mention last month, and uh, I don't know how it uh, slipped past me, was a Criterion uh, release, was Carnival of Souls, which mm. was issued last month in July, well, two months ago, July. And I think that one's worth mentioning because that is a great horror film, I think. Um, it is. Along the lines of Night of the Living Dead, uh, just has that same kind of vibe. And I, I, I meant to mention that, and it just we got off track or something. And So there it is. It's out there. So. It is a great it is a great movie. Is that Herc Harvey's only movie? Uh, I think he made a few industrial shorts or something, but it, I, th- well, I think Well, he was an industrial course. filmmaker. I think he, he and he and uh Robert right. Altman were kind of working for the same industrial film outlet at, uh, at, I think for they a did. time. Mm-hmm. But uh I I can't say that I've ever seen any more Herc Harvey movies, but uh, you know, again, proving proving uh Orson Welles' uh, statement that you really only need one to be remembered, and yeah. that's that's his, and it is great. It's a great yeah. dream film too. It, it must it must be a uh, a David Lynch favorite, I would think. Yeah, it's it. Then he, he shares a uh, his films share a kinship with that. You can tell. So, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, but um, well, anyway, um, we have other other things to talk about from August. Blue Basket Case Two and Basket Case Three, and not on the same disc; they're on separate uh, releases. So okay. Didn't we already talk talked about, about because, Basket Case in the past? Dean had the story about it. Yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> I actually made that story a YouTube clip. Uh-huh. <laughs> I wonder I wonder if it's gotten a lot of hits. Uh but uh, yeah. Story. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. So anyway, they're out there too. Uh and Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, uh from Warner Archive. Uh they've issued that on August ninth. So um and then we have a how about this? Speaking of Asian fi- uh, films with Asians uh, in the cast, Charlie Chan and the Curse of the Dragon Queen. <laughs> oh, no, with Peter Ustinov as Charlie Chan. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. That fits right into what we were just talking about. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I remember that on uh, watching, trying to watch that on uh, cable way back when. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's pretty bad. It, it's not very good. <laughs> it's pretty bad. Yes. But uh, you know, I uh and this wasn't the only time that didn't Ustinoff play Charlie Chan in uh, another movie or am I wrong about that or yeah, he may have, I'm not sure. Who who played Charlie Chan and was it Peter Sellers who played Charlie Chan in the in the uh in Murder by Death or uh, you might be right about that. Yeah, I, he's certainly I think he, in Murder by Death. I think that's what he played. Uh, but uh, well, it's, you know, got an interesting cast: Lee Grant, Angie Dickinson. If you're a mm-hmm. Battlestar Galactica fan, it's got Richard, Richard Hatch, Hatch. <laughs> yeah, Brian uh, Keith, uh, Roddy McDowell, so yep. Michelle Pfeiffer in an early role. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's uh, you know, might be might be sort of interesting to. Yeah. Try and watch it again. I don't know if I can get through it. It has like a kind of a flat TV movie quality to it. It, it does. It, yeah. I remember. I remember when that came out. They, I think it was the summer of 1980. They advertised that every time I turned around. I remember there was a TV spot running every time that I turned the television on back in those days. I remember. So it's just it stands out in my mind, but not yeah. in a good way. But uh, the Caribou Trail. <laughs> the Caribou Trail. From 1950, uh, that's uh, another Kino Western, and this is Randolph Scott again. Oh, so, my God. Well, all Randolph Scott Westerns are entertaining. Yeah. Just uh, so, I, don't, I, don't, I don't care what, how famous they are. Just everything mm-hmm. from from Ride the High Country and the and the Tall Tea to, uh, you know, the lesser-known ones, they're all, they're all fun. Yeah. So we move on to uh, August the 16th, and this is when uh, The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai across the 8th dimension was released, as we talked about earlier, scripted by W. By Victor. Yeah. <laughs> now, who released let's it? talk about W.D. Richter here for a yep. little bit. He, he, <clears throat> he directed uh, also Buckaroo Banzai, and, mm-hmm. um, but... I remember in the '80s starting to notice his uh, his um, uh, writing contributions to movies, uh, not only like Body Snatchers and Big uh, and uh, Bonsai, but also Big Trouble in Little China mm-hmm. and uh, and Dracula, uh, the '79 Dracula. 
And I started, I, 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 in my mind, I was like, oh, my God, this guy is the weirdest screenwriter out there. I mean, he he just has this sort of, um, uh, this sort of uh, finger on uh, sort of the pulse of genre, but also uh, an, an unusual take on them, to, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, almost like a, He's almost like it has a kind of almost a not uh, a novelistic kind of take on them because they uh they're they're somewhat complex and uh mm-hmm. and and they they uh they make your mind work a little bit more than you used to in some some of these uh kinds of pieces but uh he also did uh needful things and uh mm-hmm. and was nominated for an oscar for uh a non genre movie although it is a prison movie called Brubaker, uh which yep. is which is also somewhat novelistic in its approach to its uh genre. So I don't know. I just always thought that he was an an interesting uh and probably a very um eccentric person. <laughs> so. Yeah. It's uh yeah that's well this is a collector's so which, edition which 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 Blu ray company came out with uh Buckaroo Bonsai? Ah, that's actually Shout Factory. They're, they're, this is the first release in a new line that they've got out now called the uh, the Collector's Edition line. And I don't know if uh, you know they're they're just uh, they're 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 trying to do the uh, the criteria go the Criterion route, but in a Shout with Shout Factory type uh, product titles. I mean, you know, uh, so because you know Criterion has a certain pedigree of titles, and now we've got. Uh, uh, there's certain titles that Shout Factory and Scream Factory are known for, and this one fits into their uh, their uh, fits into their brand, I think, quite well. So, uh, okay. But uh, they've also uh, another one that they've done uh, was uh, Midnight Run. That's another one of their collector's edition mm. titles that they've released, and uh, there's a couple of new extras on there, and and a new transfer of Midnight Run. So anybody that's a fan of that, that's another one that they have done. And uh, so, uh, and speaking of them, another release from them. This is not a collector's edition, just a regular release. But Session Nine, that horror film from the early two thousands, about Brad Anderson, right? Yeah. yeah. Boy, he was on fire uh, <clears throat> at that period. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, I I love Session Nine. Uh, it's pretty but, creepy. Uh, he was really doing some uh, really interesting work. Uh, in that uh, in that period, uh, I mean, he, he did uh, he did the machinist things. right. Uh, he did the machinist, yes, with uh, um, with Christian Bale. Uh, Christian Bale. Christian you lost Bale all that weight, all, yeah. Yeah, getting all thin and everything, but yeah. uh, I mean, he's mostly like a lot of um, like a lot of you know indie filmmakers from that period. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's mostly doing television now, but he did a he did this really terrific movie called Happy Accidents with uh, um, uh, Vincent D'Onofrio and Marissa Tomei. Yeah, that I thought yeah. was uh, terrific, and and also uh, next stop from Wonderland. I was trying to remember the uh, Gwyneth Paltrow thing that he he had done, but mm-hmm. I have to admit, I think I think Session Nine might be one of maybe his best movie. Uh, I like all four of those movies, but. Oh, and he did Trans Siberian, which was also very good in two thousand eight. Uh, Forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, uh, that was that was very good. Uh, kind of a thriller set on a train. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that's 
that's pretty good. I, I like him. Yeah, I'm glad they're issuing that in high def. I think it deserves uh, some attention. And uh, Universal has put out a couple of their titles from the 80s. Uh, they, and I think these are Best Buy exclusives, but eventually they're going to be available you know, at other outlets. But for now, you can only get them at Best Buy, I think. Uh, the Burbs, directed by Joe Dante, of course, which kind of kind of has a pretty large cult following, I understand, it, these days. It, it does. It's larger than you would actually. Yeah. You'd be surprised how big that cult is because uh, pe- people really love it. Uh, and, uh, you know, why not? Joe Dante, how can you, yeah. how can you go wrong with Joe Dante? Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> the, uh, the Money Pit with Tom Hanks. Which doesn't uh, have a cult. <laughs> no, it does not, but I have a certain fondness for that movie. I, I think it's pretty funny in spots. Uh, uh-huh. I mean, not the best thing, you know, of course, that that, that came out of the 80s, but it, it holds up fairly well. I, my kids and I, my kids just love it. It's one of their favorites because, I, I mean, they just laugh hysterically every time that we've watched it together. And, and I, I think it does kind of hold up. I mean, it's it's not, not a terrible film by any stretch of the imagination. I, I prefer Mr. Blanding's Bills' Dream House. The, uh, well, of course the, that's uh, better, yeah. <laughs> as, as a movie of that type. Also, I think one of the reasons that I've never gotten to is because I'm just not a huge uh, Shelley Long fan. Yeah, uh, I agree with that. <laughs> she, but uh, I, Alexander you know. Gudinoff is the, uh, the uh, kind of the villain character. In your, you know, he didn't have that many film roles. So it's interesting to see him, and of course, Die Hard. He obviously had a uh, another similar type role, but he he didn't do that much that many movies. And uh, this is the Money Pit and Die Hard are pretty much the 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 ones he's most Wasn't known he for. Wasn't he married to Diane Lane for for a certain time? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Or was so. she married to yeah. another dancer? Yeah, and then he died of AIDS, I think. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah I, wow! I I didn't know either one of those two facts, but uh, that's, yeah. that's so he really did. So he really did die hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, if I'll he was with out. Diane, if he was with Diane Lane, I completely understand mm-hmm. that. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Two, the other two Universal titles, uh, the Dream Team with Michael Keaton and Peter Boyle, of course, and uh, and the Great Outdoors with John Candy and Dan Aykroyd. Oh. So. Those are, uh, you know, the Dream Team is a movie. Isn't that about like a a bunch of uh, like asylum uh, mm-hmm. yeah. people Mental living patient. in asylum? Yeah. yeah, I I always get that confused with another movie that's similar from that same time period called Crazy People with Dudley Moore. Oh yeah, uh, and David Paymer. Uh, that, uh, but uh, yeah, that's. That might be an interesting movie to check out again. I think the the, the Dream Team's better, but it but uh, it it's still it's still kind of. Uh, I mean, I give it like a C plus B minus kind of. That's about right. So, some of it's some of it's appealing, and then some of mm-hmm. it's kind of blah. There's the, there's mm-hmm. the convention of you know a murder investigation that they're or the kidnapping investigation or something that yeah. they're embarking on as they're trying to survive in the city. And you're so invested in them trying to just survive in New York City, where they're crazier than anyone surrounding them, uh, that the whole subplot with the murder and the mystery and all that kind of stuff just gets in the way. Dead weight. Mm-hmm. That happens so much with comedy, even today, where they forget about the thing that you really want to come 
to a comedy for, which is to laugh, and they think that they need to follow through on a plot that no one gives a shit about. (laughs) Yeah. Where you just stop explaining the plot and just go on with the jokes, you know? It's like, no one cares about that stuff when you go into a comedy. It's like, make it simple. Okay. Yeah. Play it over. (laughs) Yeah. Well, 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 I guess we can all, right, all now, agree. Now that Dean's, Dean's off his soapbox. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess we can all agree the Dream Team's better than the Great Outdoors. So out of those yes. two films. Uh, yeah. That's not a good movie. <laughs> yeah, no. No. It's, one, it's another another in a unfortunate long line of, uh, you know, uh, disappointments with John Candy. In the, yeah. Which I, he's probably the best thing in the movie, obviously, but... You know, mm-hmm. and it's got your buddy Dan Aykroyd in it, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah. Yeah, that it does. Best leave that there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the, well, second, the second that that movie came out, and I saw that Dan Aykroyd was in it, <laughs> and then I saw the title, a title with the word great in it, I was like, oh, they're, they're being ironic. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, good. So, uh, well, Wild in the Streets, and I know, uh, Dean, you mentioned this guy, uh, I guess it was maybe a month or two ago when we did our Blu-ray show, uh, Barry Shear directed mm-hmm. his Wild in the Streets. And, yes. Uh, it's, uh, and it's finally being issued in high def, with, uh, and I think this has an, uh, an appearance by Dick Clark, which is one of the rare films he appeared in, along with Shelley oh. Winters and Christopher Jones and... So, oh man, that that it's it's a it's a it's a very good movie. Yeah, it's uh, you know, it's the kind of movie that uh, first of all that <clears throat> of course it's about Christopher Jones plays the first uh, I, well he plays a um, pop star that mm-hmm. uh, gets put up for uh, presidential consideration after uh, he rallies everybody under thirty. Uh, to uh, support him and uh, support the notion of having a uh, president under 30 uh, lead the country. And uh, he he endeavors to um, give LSD to the uh, – slip LSD to the entire Congress, and uh, he's able to wrest control. Uh, but uh, what's interesting about it is it's an early role for – Richard Pryor, who plays his, uh, his band's true. drummer. Yeah. And, uh, of course, Shelley Winters plays his overbearing mother, like she she always plays an overbearing character. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, Hal Holbrook is uh, one of the leading senators that tries to uh, launch a sort of an outreach to him. But uh, it's also a movie that has really great music in it uh, by... Um, by uh, Goffin and uh, well, I think it's uh, maybe it's uh, I forgot who does the music now. It's, it's one of the Brill Building people. Um, uh, Hang on, the Brill Building. Hang on, team. I, I just bought the soundtrack. Hang on. Oh, you <laughs> did. Well, yeah, it's well, a great it soundtrack. It's in the very back. We uh, have. Uh, uh, I've had my mom had a copy that has a copy that she still has in its original shrink wrap with a Kmart thing on it. Well. Uh, 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 and and it's like uh, it, it was selling for like two fifty or something like that, <laughs> and um, uh, and it's a, a great uh, you know gatefold uh, 
you know, yeah. uh, gatefold opening, you know, album, mm-hmm. and it's uh, it's uh, it, I guess it's most famous song, <clears throat> which was done by uh, I don't know who the real band is, but it's uh, it's uh, it's attributed to the band that's in the movie Max Frost and the Troopers, and it's called mm-hmm. The Shape of Things to Come, and. Uh, it's a really stunning sequence where uh, that he, uh, you know, when that song comes up because it's very simply filmed. Uh, it's a movie that kind of is essential '60s movie watching because uh, it became, I think, the first and maybe only American international movie to be nominated for an Oscar, where it was yeah. no- it was nominated for its editing, uh, and it's got that sort of. Uh, kind of groundbreaking 60s style editing where it's uh, very like like kind of like you know maybe the head or something like that like mm-hmm. the Bob Ravelson movie yeah and uh but uh the music's good the the visuals are good and it's it's a very very uh sort of uh, subversive piece of uh, work um so mm-hmm. but who did the music uh Barry yeah. Mann and uh yes. Some chick named Cynthia. Uh, I, I Cynthia Vile. Cynthia Wilde. Yeah, that's his wife. Yeah, Barry Mann's wife. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's... So it, it's it's very good. If you've never seen it, go and check it out uh, now that it's out because it's it's really it's it's really unusual. Yeah, they're they're a great songwriting duo too. So uh, yeah, I, I, it's been a long time since I've seen Wild in the Streets, I, and I I've got a copy of it. I've had a regular DVD of it here for years. I need to pull that out and. Revisit now. You got me jazzed up about it. So yeah. <laughs> uh, so who who whoever slew Auntie Rue with um, Shelley Winters from 1971, I believe it is, and that's uh, directed by Curtis Harrington, whom I'm kind of a fan of Curtis Harrington. I know we've talked about him here on the show before. He directed Ruby with uh, Piper Laurie from '77 and um, The Killing Kind with Cindy Williams and. Uh, Quite a few games with uh, James Caan. Those are all pretty pretty memorable, I think. And uh, the father of Rowdy. That's a good question. Is he? Is he the is fa- he? father of Rowdy Harrington? <laughs> uh, I don't think so. I don't think there's any uh, relation that I'm aware of, anyway. Yeah. But there's okay, a. Yeah. There, there is a great documentary about him. If you uh, want to know more about him, on YouTube called "The House of Harrington." Uh, and it kind of gives you an overview of his career because he he was he he turned out some interesting films, but he's not really a household name. And uh, I, I've always kind of he's just one of those directors that I you know always came back to because I just thought he was his 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 the films that he did were so eclectic and and they mm-hmm. always, was always kind of interesting about them. And did a TV movie also too called the The Dead Don't Die with uh, George Hamilton. And that was pretty good too. Written wow. by uh, Robert Block, who wrote Psycho, wrote that film. So, mm. so uh, yeah, uh, he's also the dead, uh, he was also yeah. What now? The dead might not die, but they still tan. <laughs> yeah, this is oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, he also anyway. did a he also did another. I mean, his debut. Uh, he came from the avant garde world. I mean, apparently he did. He he was connected with uh, Maya Darren, you know, the famous uh, avant-garde mm-hmm. filmmaker who did Meshes of the Afternoon. But 
Uh, also, um, you know, his his debut film, which was probably, I think, one of his weirdest movies, is also an early film for Dennis Hopper, especially Night as Tide. a lead performer, Night Tide. Where yeah, he, right. Uh, or he comes into contact with a with a mermaid, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, so that's that's a that's an interesting film as well. Yeah, another Very LSD interesting movie. director. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, so when did he die? When did he stop making movies? Uh, he's. I think he died about ten years ago, something like that. He's. He's not been. You know, about a decade ago. He. He uh, was working fairly. Uh, fairly late in life, I think. But uh, doing a lot of television. Uh, he did. You know, he did. Yeah. I just of... remember when I was a kid. Uh, they were running the previews. Uh, you know, I, I remember seeing the posters and seeing the TV spots for that movie Ruby with Piper Laurie, and that was the first. Yeah. Curtis Harrington uh, that I you know I, and then when it came on when it was in syndication on television I finally caught up with it and that was the first uh, ex, uh, the first brush I had with a Curtis Harrington film I guess mm. you would say but anyway but, but let's get into Twilight Time titles very quickly uh, and there's some pretty good ones here so um, to- there's a double feature of Tony Rome and Lady in Cement which of course those both uh, are you know one that's one's a sequel to the other, uh, so they're mm-hmm. connected. Are two for the price of one. Frank Sinatra. Uh, yeah, Frank Sinatra. Gordon Douglas directed, and same guy who would later direct him in the Detective in this in '68. So mm. it's like uh, they were on fire together. That was uh, I guess uh, Sinatra. Sinatra was uh, uh, in in the same um, wheelhouse as uh, De Niro and Scorsese, and uh, De Niro and <laughs> DiCaprio and. Mm-hmm. Sinatra and Douglas. So anyway, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, anyway, and so there's Theater of Blood with uh, Vincent Price, which I revisited that uh, with the, the you know, when the uh, I got hold of the copy of it, and uh, it looks good, and it's good, uh, still a good movie, holds up really well. I don't know, if it's, I'd say it's one of Vincent Price's best. I I still say that that and uh Witchfinder General are his two best performances. I, agree. I mean, you know. Yeah. He was he was always good, to, you know. I mean, you know, he's mm-hmm. good in things like uh, you know, uh non-genre things like mm-hmm. Lever to Heaven and that kind of thing. People forget that he was really uh, just a, char- a character actor uh more than anything else uh before mm-hmm. he became a horror icon, but um uh but uh, yeah, I, I I just adore Theater of Blood. I just uh, it's so fun and it's great to great to see uh you know what I Vincent Price was the first celebrity I ever met. I met him when I was like 7 or something like that and mm-hmm. uh he asked me what my favorite movie of his was and I said Theater of Blood. It wasn't too long uh, after uh the release of that film. And he said, that's my favorite, too, uh, which he probably said to all kids who love him. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, yeah, I, uh, I suspe- there's part of me that suspects that it was one of his favorites of his own movies because it gave him an opportunity to perform Shakespeare. Uh, and all of, uh, you know, not just, uh, you know, like six or seven uh, uh, pieces of different Shakespeare uh uh, plays that uh figure into the film very creatively and mm-hmm. uh and I love the uh the supporting characters in it you know like uh Coral Brown his wife yep. and and uh and uh, Robert Morley and and um all of those all those people playing the critics it's just such a oh, delicious yeah. kind of 
uh, it's a delicious sort of in jokey sort of movie, uh, and it's one of the uh, I guess it's one of the few movies where critics really play an important part in the in the piece, and it's really a commentary on uh, artists uh, uh, trying to hit back at uh, the critics yeah. that have uh, wronged them in the past. So it's 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 very creative. It's got a great score. And uh, mm-hmm. it's, it, it's got a terrific sort of early 70s London feel. Uh, and, uh, again, another movie that if you've never seen it, uh, really treat yourself to this because it's really, really funny and uh, often shockingly uh, uh, graphic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's got it a is. couple of very... Yeah, very gory. Sho- yeah. yeah, it's it's uh, it's shocking in its gore. So, uh, but... Uh, yeah, check that out if you've never seen it. Yeah, the score is isolated on a, a separate track on the Blu-ray, by the way, so you get the score as well as the film, and I think there's a commentary on there, too, in a trailer. Uh, so, if, you know, if you're a fan, there you go. Uh, and uh, and then also, uh, Twilight Time issued The Glory Guys, which was an early Sam Peckinpah directorial. He's co-directed. Uh, he co-directed that film uh, and also wrote it, uh, he with, didn't actually uh, get credit for co-directing it. He did not. It. No, no, he did he not didn't get, get credit, credit but, for co-directing it, but he did co-direct it, and yes, he uh, did. Arnold and he definitely co-wrote it. Right. Yeah. And uh, Tom Tryon is the uh, has the lead here. And Tom Tryon, if uh, for anybody who doesn't know or remember, he was an actor who uh, had a bad experience working with Otto Preminger and uh, got out of the acting business altogether, and then went on to become a novelist. And he became a very celebrated horror novelist in the early 70s with uh, The Other, which is one of my favorite horror films of all time, and uh, mm. uh, Harvest Home, and uh, you know those are a few. So anyway, this was one of his, I think, final acting jobs, or at least, and he was rarely uh, uh, a leading actor, and this is one of the, I think the only other time was in The Cardinal with Otto Preminger directing, and that was the one he had such a rotten experience on the set of, so... Mm. Uh, also, so, that that, that uh, the Glory Guys has a really terrific uh, 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 movie poster. I've never seen the movie. I do want to check it out, mm-hmm. but uh, it has one of the great movie posters. That's just yeah. uh, just look it up online, and it's. I would imagine they might have used it as the cover, uh, but uh, really spectacular. I don't know the artist, but I think the artist is is famous for his western sort of uh, yeah. motifs and and uh, paintings, but. It is just a spectacular piece of graphic art. Yeah, and, uh, yeah really good. You're right. Well, the uh, also uh, the other Twilight Time titles that we have here are Lady in Cement, and uh, of course I mentioned that earlier. That's on a, a separate on the same disc as Tony Rome. Uh, look, uh, the most beautiful wife. Uh, I don't, I don't know that one. Damiano directed that. Uh, that was from 1970. And uh, hardcore, and uh, bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia. So there are the other. Uh, speaking of Peck and Paw, another Peck and Paw. So bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia and hardcore are the other titles. And um, so there we talked. We talked about hardcore in the last show, right? Or did we? Yeah. Well, last yeah. last week. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Last week, right? Yeah, because you were yeah right because you were talking about how. Uh, Paul Schrader is it wasn't very happy with the, mm-hmm. the look of it. Have you listened uh, to that commentary yet, Adam? 
I have not. Uh, I'm, I, I rewatched the film itself uh, about a week and a half ago, and it still holds up. And I, I, I have not had time to listen to the commentary though. Yeah, but listen I, to it. It's entertaining. <laughs> oh, sounds good. Now you got me. Uh, you got my curiosity aroused. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I want. I, well, I did go back and reread the uh, Pauline Kale review. I dug that up out of my archives, and uh, it, it was in one of the books because I've got them all. And uh, that was her take on it was quite interesting to say the least. <laughs> was it uh, was it positive or can oh, you no, tell? No, no. <laughs> it was no. It was you know, a big a big part of Pauline Kale, and I think in that review she made some kind of comment that Schrader's a is like a pornographer who doesn't know how to turn a trick or something. That's right. That's right. There was something very resentful in Paul and Kale towards Paul yeah. Schrader, just it because was, yeah. he was a uh, he he was a protege of hers, and he left film reviewing to screen be a screenwriter, and she discouraged him from doing it. So she felt kind of betrayed, like he went to the mm. other side somehow. Mm-hmm. And that was, yeah. that's no, she didn't. She didn't shrink away from getting involved with Hollywood when she had the opportunity. Why? Why she fell on a high? Why was she on that's a high true. horse? That was so. just her. That was her nature. Yeah, mm. I, I'm reading the Owen Gleiberman uh, uh, autobiography, Movie Freak, right now, which uh, I could not recommend more, by the way. And there's a uh, whole chapter devoted to his encounters with Pauline Kael because he became one of the. Paulettes, and it didn't Paulette. quite work out yeah. as well as he thought that it might uh, in the end. And it's very, very telling. Let's just say that. So if you mm. haven't had time to uh, to to read that, uh, I would highly recommend getting your hands on a, a copy of the Owen Gleiberman uh, book, Movie Freak, because it's there's a great piece on her in there. And he's he's he doesn't yeah, she hold, was, she he doesn't was hold back. A, she was an acerbic uh, she was an acerbic writer and a, and and acerbic person. And I yeah. love her writing, but I would imagine oh, that I too. probably wouldn't like her. <laughs> That's kind of what he discovered. <laughs> mm. it, yeah, it was. Uh, he started out by writing letters to her, and then eventually she invited him to come to New York and 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 meet her. And that's when it got real interesting. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> I think I'm going to have to pick this book up. Oh, it's great. I, I mean, mm. it's he's and he's not only. Um, He's not only forthcoming about her, but he's forthcoming about a lot of other people too. He does he is not afraid to dish the dirt. Let me tell you. Mm. Okay. And, uh, well, also, he, he's, also read the um, also read the um, the biography that they wrote a couple of years Brian Kello or something wrote a couple of years ago about Pauline Kael, because that's a good biography too. And there's there's a whole interesting section in there about when she did go to work for Hollywood. <laughs> which mm-hmm. the only reason why she got that opportunity was because Warren Beatty was doing Reds and didn't want Pauline Kale to be reviewing it. So uh, Warren Beatty said, hey, why don't you work with James Toback on this Love Love and Money, or I think that was the movie, I uh, think it was, yeah. developing that and uh, try, trying to get her out of the field. And uh, yeah. James Toback was like, look, I love Pauline Kale, but... I cannot work with this woman. Can we fire her? <laughs> <laughs> and so there was a whole big tension about how she would review Reds once it came out, knowing that Warren Beatty fired her and that she didn't yeah. want him to do that movie to begin with. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's, right. <laughs> well, well, the only oh, the man. way I, uh, the way I understand it, the only film that she wound up greenlighting during her t- or having a part in getting it greenlit, I should say, was The Elephant Man. 
for David Lynch. You know, I think she she was instrumental in getting that uh, into production. But other than that, I don't think she got anything done while she was there. And that didn't stop her from reviewing The Elephant Man, too. No, which of course it sure was a didn't. very positive, a very positive review. Yeah. Mm. So, uh, so anyway, um, I, I I ran into the guy who was the uh, the director of creative affairs who worked for Paramount. You know, when I was out in Los Angeles last time, and he he had some dealings with her, but he was kind of she was coming in as he was exiting the company, and so he he, he had a few things to say, and they were kind of. Yeah, they were interesting too. Let's just say that. But <laughs> anyway, any anyway anyway, I, I'm digressing. So let's get back on track, and I'll t- uh, I'll tell you that uh, "Tell Me That You Love Me, Junie Moon" uh, was released by all of Films. By the way, this is the first time this film has ever been issued in any video format. No VHS, no Laserdisc, nothing until now. And I love this movie. I'm going to be honest. Speaking of Otto Preminger, he directed this, and this is. A very good movie, which I caught it on cable years ago. And I, I did, too, and I like yeah. it. Yeah. And I've kept my VHS all these years that I had taped off the movie channel, I think, because I couldn't get it any other way. And uh, so I'm, uh, But I could not, if you've not seen this film, it's, it's about these three misfits, basically, who are physically damaged in some way or another. Like uh, Liza Minnelli, has, her face was scarred by a, a boyfriend who threw acid in her face and... Then uh, you've got uh, Ken Howard, he's paralyzed, and James Coco, I forget what his affliction is. But anyway, they all three become these, these God, best friends. And, <laughs> it's, really, it's a really good movie, it really is. It's, I know it sounds actually, like a downer. but Yeah, it's actually good. It's, it's, uh, it's very engaging. Yes, so, it is. And yeah. uh, so, so that's... That's one that I'm going to champion because it, it it's it's you know it's a big deal because it's never been issued so uh, yeah. and saved from 2004 with uh, yeah um, of course Macaulay Culkin Cole, Patrick Fugit yeah. So, yeah. oh yeah that one <laughs> yeah mm. so, that one yes that one mm, yeah Mandy Moore was in it uh, Mandy yeah. Moore. Yeah, I remember when the the ever when Mandy Moore was the the, the flavor of the week, as they say. Yes. <laughs> for, don't we long for those days? Anyway, it's a good flavor though. <laughs> <laughs> I know I left that one wide open. So, uh, <laughs> so Patch Adams. I know we probably don't want to say anything about that. Uh, oh. Less said no, better, you. but uh, <laughs> in, anyway, Universal uh, opted to put it out there. And uh, American Ninja 1, 2, 3, and 4 from Olive Films. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what a relief. We can yeah. finally... I got those in the mail. I was like, finally, I've been waiting for the entire Michael Dudikoff legacy to... Uh... We just talked about <laughs> Michael Dudikoff last night, dude. Yeah, so we did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah, but we are probably the only people talking about Michael Dudikoff right now. Uh, probably so. Probably in so. the world. Yeah. <laughs> Even including Michael Dudikoff. Uh, yeah. So, uh, the John Carpenter uh, biopic of Elvis, called Elvis, of course, from 1979, Ooh. the first film he made after Halloween, uh, starring you know it was his first collaboration with Kurt Russell. Uh, Shout Factory has put that out. So. And also and, you know, Shelley Winters. <laughs> Shelley Winters playing the movie, mother, right? Um, the the woman that plays uh, Priscilla was actually Kurt Russell's wife at the time. Susan Hubley, right? I was gonna say Susan Susan Hubley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, she's in hardcore. So, by the way. I only know she's that hard- tidbit because it's in the because com- it's in the commentary of hardcore. Right. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, right. Yeah, I'd forgotten about that. That is true. Yeah. So, uh, but I, I just heard an interview with uh, Dean Coonty, who uh, shot most of Carpenter's films, you know, up through Big Trouble in Little China, I think, and. Uh, he wanted to shoot Elvis, but they, uh, I think it was Dick Clark Productions that financed it, and they wouldn't allow him to, because uh, he had just shot Halloween, and he wanted to continue on, mm. and uh, they wouldn't let Coondy shoot the Elvis film, and they brought in some somebody else. And, uh, and they were probably flat. afraid it was going to look too dark, because, you know, back then, TV was, you know, everything on TV yeah. was like, like, bring in the Klieg lights, and <laughs> this is how right, we're going to light this thing, we're going to flatten out this whole place, mm-hmm. and they probably just didn't want to deal with him, yeah. uh, bringing back something that looked like it was, you know, shot in a dark room or whatever, so. Uh, He's such a great <laughs> cinematographer, though, he's just so good, and I, I just, I think that's a missed opportunity, but. Anyway, um, so uh, um, uh, Criterion release uh, was uh, Ingrid Bergman in her own words, which is a a documentary uh, where they take uh, Alicia Vikander uh, reads uh, transcripts and diary excerpts and all kinds of, and they have all these rare home home movies of, and it uh, allows us to uh, have a two-hour peek into the life of Ingrid Bergman in, as the movie says, in her own words, and it's pretty good. I would say the problem. The only problem is that it kind of glosses over some of her professional triumphs in the latter part of her life. Like they don't even make mention that she won the supporting actress Oscar for uh, Murder on the Orient Express, mm-hmm. unfortunately. But uh, if you want to know, you know a lot about her personal life, and uh, there's a lot of that in there, so it's it's worth a peek. I think uh, I would say. And uh, Eleni or Eleni Eleni. I'm not sure yeah. how you pronounce. Yeah, that was you know a big awards. They were hoping for big awards uh, attention uh, at the Oscar season that year. That came out, but it didn't quite work out that way for them. I remember with Kate Nelligan, John Malkovich, and uh, they had high hopes for that one. But uh, yes, that's one of those kinds out. of movies that you know had. A, who was the director on that? Was, was there? Um, no, was, I mean, I think the I think it Peter Yates. It, Peter Yates. Yeah. Okay. So there you go. I think they just you know maybe have kind of kind of thought that, but because that was right around well, that's like eighty two or something, isn't it? Eighty five. Eighty five. So it was right after he had been nominated for the dresser, and they thought, yeah. oh well, uh, he's gonna uh, he's gonna get another nomination. Well, it's just like you know one of those things. There's always a, a few titles that we're excited about around Oscar time, and and then they land, and they're like, oh, we were completely misinformed about this <laughs> one. So, but that's this is obviously one of those. I've never well, seen it. So. I, I, you know, it's it's very interesting because it's it's written by uh, Steve Tesich, who uh, they collaborated on Breaking Away. You know, Steve Tesich and Peter Yates. Uh, mm-hmm. They were the writer director of that, and uh, so they tried to they brought their collaboration back for this one. And but uh, you know it's it's okay. It's not a bad film, but uh, it's just not you know quite as good as you want it to be. It doesn't, mm-hmm. doesn't, uh, but uh, anyway, uh, Beethoven, uh, the uh, the fa- quote unquote family film with Charles Grodin, that was another Universal title, mm-hmm. and um, and so we'll move on uh, to a couple other things here. Psycho Four, the beginning. Uh, do we want to talk about that? <laughs> no. 
Actually, I just watched that again the other night. Uh, I did revisit it, and I'm going to be honest. It's not. It's not really. It's not bad. It's Anthony Perkins is, is always good as Norman Bates, and there are some really interesting directorial flourishes. It's directed by Mick Garris, and I think the the directorial stuff he he brings to it is kind of interesting. Uh, I think it falls apart during the final act. It, the final act just feels kind of weak to me, but uh, it it holds its its own for quite a quite a big chunk of the, the movie and Olivia Hussey plays uh you know uh Norman's yeah. um mother in the uh, in that in the flashback sequences and uh it's I you know it's it's not bad it's worth a peek uh, okay I, I prefer uh I, I prefer Vera Formiga playing Norman I, I agree I totally agree I totally agree she's much better wasn't but, Psycho you know, 4 made made for Showtime it was yeah yeah it was it was but it uh you know it's 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 as good as Psycho 3, we'll put it that way. Uh, it's no worse. Uh, so, anyway. Uh, but And I know this is a title that Dean's mentioned before. Uh, I've seen you post about it, and it finally got issued, and it's City on Fire from 1979. Mm, yes. I'll probably end up watching it and, and like, going, uh, that was probably a waste of time, but... Uh, but uh, I'll make sure I'll have some tacos nearby so it'll <laughs> make it. Yeah, make it. <laughs> but yeah. uh, by the way, I had a friend. Uh, a friend. I'm I'm writing now for this site called Zeke Film uh, that's uh, done uh, by my friend uh, Jim Tudor, who's based out of uh, St. Louis, and uh, uh, he approached me and wanted me to contribute uh, some stuff to it. And uh, he's a fan of the show, and uh, and he said that he is a uh, he used did a review of something I think it was something like Grandview Grandview USA or something, where he mm-hmm. uh, he used the term taco movie <laughs> to <laughs> to describe it, uh, which is great. I was like, I want the term taco movie to be uh, uh, something that that just goes out there and just. Catches on fire because uh, it's really true. If you're like eating something good or whatever while you're watching something, it can affect uh, your uh, it can affect your assessment of the film. Like you're just like you're really reviewing the tacos and not the movie itself. But <laughs> but, uh, but they can get you tacos can get you through some pretty bad movies. So. <laughs> Well, I don't know if I was eating a taco the first time I saw City on Fire because I was about 12 years old when I saw it last. But uh, <laughs> I was pretty enthralled with it. My 12 year old self was, but I don't know how that would be. Uh, you just love now. all disaster movies. I <laughs> do have a fondness for them. What can I tell you? But, and another uh, movie with Shelley Winters in it. I mean, this it is, is Shelley Winters is. month. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's true. So, uh, how about? Um, we have a Taste of Honey, directed by uh, Tony Richardson from 1961. It's a Criterion release. We have that. And, Is that, uh, uh, that that's Rita Touchingham, right? In the in the lead, right? Um, the, I can't I can't remember now, but uh, it's one of those sort of kitchen sinky kind of movies uh, that they they did back in the early 60s. It Britain. is, yeah, it's Rita Touchingham, yeah. Uh yeah, and uh I, I'm not sure, but is that where the song Taste of Honey comes from? You know, the I think it might be, the, yeah. The Beatles cover John Davidson. Oh, oh. Yeah. Herb Albert <laughs> Herb Albert <laughs> who's had the big hit with it, but of course it's yeah. on the 
first uh, first Beatles record too. So anyway, yeah, it is, it is. So uh, so yeah, uh, American Dreamer from 1984. That's Joe Beth Williams, and it's kind of a um, sim- oh, yeah. similar in John Boyd. Rome- right? Yeah, Tom, yeah. John Boyd. I thought it was Tom Conti or something like that. No, it is Tom Conti. That's right. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, Tom I get Conti. those two confused all the time. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Giancarlo Giannini also, by the way, and um, mm. it's uh, directed by Rick Rosenthal, who directed the second Halloween film. So, uh, you know, uh, that's a very yeah. odd title, odd and, and obscure title to be re-released. Yeah, yes, it is. So, uh, anyway, uh, yeah, that that one's kind of, you know, not not something you would have expected, but. Um, for whatever it's worth, there it is, and the documentary Tab Hunter Confidential, which I have not had time uh-huh. to look at, but um, I hear it's pretty good, uh, where he kind of talks about his years spent in Hollywood, um, being a closeted gay actor, and uh, all of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so there you go. Uh, Fritz Lang's The Spiders, from 1910. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> It's, uh, <laughs> or talk about early cinema. There you go. That's yeah. from uh, that's from Kino. You're talking about Kino, and they are uh, they're pulling out some interesting titles to uh, to issue, and that's that's further proof right there. And um, so, and then uh, this is not exactly movie related, but we'll mention it anyway. Ash versus the Evil Dead. Which I thought was a pretty good continuation of the Evil Dead series of films, but uh, very much so. Very much I so. so. I was really yeah. surprised how they, how they were. Uh, I, I, they were just able to capture the, the spirit of those movies again, and and yeah. add something new in those two supporting characters who were so mm-hmm. funny. Uh, well, there's many supporting characters that are good, but the, the two cohorts that join him on his. Uh, uh, joined Bruce Campbell on his uh, anti-dead escapades uh, are are extremely funny and uh, charming in it mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, yeah it's, that's a that was a real uh, thrill to watch that yeah. show and it's going to be interesting because the second season starts in October and Lee Majors is going to play Ash's father in the uh, upcoming season which I think uh, <laughs> that should good. be quite uh, <laughs> that's <laughs> quite casting <laughs> yeah I think so I think so so anyway. Uh, the Commitments, the Alan Parker film, uh, 25th anniversary edition. Um, that's a great movie, I think. Uh, that's one or of his at least best, a very good one. Yeah, yeah. I think it's I think it's one of his best, and and the best out of that Roddy Doyle series, you know, with the van mm-hmm. and the snapper, and uh, but. Uh, I, I I still love that movie. By the way, in mentioning that movie too, I also have to mention a recent movie that came out called uh, uh, Sing Street. That's a movie oh, yeah. from earlier this year. That's also about an Irish a group of Irish teenagers wanting to start a band. But this this takes place in the eighties, and uh, I watched it. I thought it was extremely extremely good. A very entertaining movie. Uh, uh, captures captures the period perfectly. Uh, um, and uh, so I w- wanted to recommend that, but it's not a particularly uh, original film because it, you could you could put it on a double bill with the commitments very easily. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, but uh, the commitments is a little bit more of a cynical, more cynical film in that uh, in that <clears throat> the band kind of uh, falls apart almost as soon as it 
it begins. But uh, mm-hmm. it is uh, it, it, the commitments are still uh, very exciting, and uh, and edited brilliantly, and uh, really good supporting performance by Andrew Strong as the lead, as the sort of overbearing lead singer of the band that uh, mm-hmm. everybody kind of hates, and uh, just just a just a very very entertaining movie. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah. So uh, a couple more uh, Criterion releases. There's a, uh, a pair of uh, Orson Welles uh, um, titles that have been issued, Chimes at Midnight uh, yes. is one of them. And the other one is The Immortal Story, which was uh, his final uh, completed film from 1968. Mm. And uh, I, I did get a chance to look at that one, and um, it, it looks great. It's gorgeous. Uh, the, the 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 narrative is a little inert at times, I would say, but it, it's a gorgeously shot piece, and it's real short. It's only like 63 minutes, but uh, it's uh, there's some nice extras there with uh, interviews with people who are involved with the production, and there's a archived interview with Orson Welles from '71. So it's uh, if you're an, a Welles completist, uh, that's recommended. So, and probably uh, that's also Chimes at Midnight. Just to just to throw in on that, that's probably one of the movie events of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the restoration of that uh, oh, because true, yeah. that's probably his that's probably his last great movie. Uh, uh, I mean, truly great film. So yeah. Uh, so he was still he was still able to uh, to pull out not only a great directorial performance but a great lead performance as well. Uh, and uh, yeah. and John John Gilgood amongst the cast is also mm-hmm. uh, extremely good in it, yeah. and uh, it's it's good to see that that's uh, getting the uh, recognition that it probably mm-hmm. escaped uh, uh, back in the, its day. So that's true. Yeah, and uh, just a couple more titles, and we'll be done here. Uh, a couple more. There's a uh, Barbarossa with uh, Willie Nelson, very good. Willie Nelson and Gary Busey. That's right. That's a true. really good Gary Busey early '80s performance. The uh, it's a western. Uh, Fritz uh, Skipizzi is that his name? Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, I like him. Yeah, the Australian director, and yeah. uh, and, and uh, another extremely irritating. I mean, uh, in, not irritating, entertaining performance. Uh, from uh, uh, from <laughs> Willie Nelson. So, yeah, it's not irritating. It's not an irritating movie. It's fun. An irritating performance by Willie. Nelson. <laughs> I don't think I don't think Gary Busey knew what he was getting into. I think he 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 didn't hear it well enough. He thought he was being invited out to dinner at the Ponderosa. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> what? Where's the Where's the steak around here? That's right. Oh goodness. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, yeah. Well, uh, how about Evil Evils of the Night from 1985? That's being issued by Vinegar Syndrome, <laughs> our favorite uh, label. Exactly. Listen to this cast: Neville Brand, Aldo Ray, Tina Louise, and John Carradine and Julie Newmar. Wow! Wow! <laughs> I bet those were some he- hellacious parties. <laughs> <laughs> After after shooting yeah. was done. <laughs> wow. Was that like a TV movie or something? Was no, a, it, was a, no? it was a theatrical uh, theatrical event, I should say. Wow. So uh, there you go. 
It's funny, you know, you talk about John Carradine, and uh, that was one of his later films, you know, not long before he died, and I was just watching the, I was recently uh, watching the uh, the Blu-ray, uh, the Screen Factory, uh, The Howling, and there's a great documentary on there about the making of it, uh, and Joe Dante was talking about uh, Carradine, and he said, uh, he was a guy who said a lot of, who said yes to a lot of things when he probably should have said no. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of things, a lot. <laughs> and uh, he was talking about when uh, when Carradine showed up to the set for the first time, and uh, he he had obviously you know handpicked him for that role in the film. And he said that there were some people on the set that didn't know him or didn't you know, they were young or whatever, weren't aware of him. He showed up without his teeth or whatever, and he was just looked like. He said he looked like he'd stepped out of the bush. One of the guys who looked like one of the guys who lived in the bushes at uh, Griffith Park in L.A. <laughs> <laughs> that was his exact quote. <laughs> he said, "People like who is this guy?" And they said, "Well, hello, John Carradine." <laughs> he's he's, he's, he's ca- coming to the set dressed for the part, you know. <laughs> so somehow the image of John Carradine and in uh, Woody Allen's "Everything You Always Wanted to Know About Sex" comes into my mind, where he's oh. <laughs> where he's the scientist that comes up with the giant milk squirting tip oh, that yeah. terrorizes the. <laughs> where he's, yeah. Where he's, He's licking his chops. I love it. Yeah, we're talking about the large breast that he's invented, and he's licking his chops. And the, uh, yeah, that's priceless, yes. man. Priceless. Yes. So anyway, yeah, just two more titles, and this is it. Uh, Destiny from 1921. We're going back again. Uh, Kino Rorber there, and that's uh, that's another Fritz Long. Uh, oh, that's good. Yeah, they're they're digging in there for his and this we'll we'll end it up with this one. How about Disco Godfather from nineteen seventy nine with uh, Rudy Ray Moore and mm. another Vinegar Syndrome release. <laughs> and didn't they do didn't they also just put out uh, a porn film? Didn't they put out Taboo just recently? They did, that yeah, might, I forgot to might. mention that. That's exactly right. Yeah, they sure did. With Kay yes. Parker and uh, Yes. 1980, Curtis so, Stevens directed. That's exactly right. Yep. Yep. They are they adventurous. Should, <laughs> they are. So, yep, that's one. Uh, yeah, that one was here, and I failed to mention it. So there you go. Mm. But we caught it. Well, there you go. That's uh, the August awesome. Blu-ray lineup. Good lineup. Good lineup. Yeah. Um, before we sign off, since we've already gone two hours, uh, I'll just say, I'll just ask you guys, Favorite scene with Gene Wilder. Ooh. Favorite uh, scene with Gene Wilder. Well, it has to be from. Uh, you know what? I'm just going to go and say, uh, go ahead and say, pure imagination. The performance of pure imagination from uh, from. Uh, but also, I, no. Let me amend that. Uh, not pure imagination from uh, Willy Wonka. Although that's brilliant. But but the moment where Leo Bloom uh, finally agrees uh, to do the play with Max Bialystok and runs around the the fountain at uh, Lincoln Center, I think that that's a great great moment for him. I agree. I will tell you that uh, I will tell you that my favorite moment is the infamous uh, long take that takes forever. When uh, the the patient tells him that uh, he's in love with the sheep, 
Yeah. And everything you, everything there, you always but... want to know about sex. Yeah. <laughs> the greatest yeah, that's a good take in history. <laughs> that's a that's yeah. a very good choice. That's exactly where I was going to go. That's so funny. You read my mind because I absolutely (laughs) think – I mean, there's any number of scenes in that segment of that film that are just hysterical. I mean, I I wouldn't even know where to start, but, uh, yeah, absolutely. And, of course, you know, I mean, you know, completely tremendous in in Blazing Saddles. And uh, I love his his laconic performance in that, that sort of – that sort of relaxed. I think that's the most relaxed I remember him ever seeing in a movie, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and uh, then, of course, the really over-the-top, you know, Baron uh, Dr. Frankenstein in uh, in Young Frankenstein. <laughs> so, my father's work was doo-doo and stab, stabbing his <laughs> leg with the... <laughs> I always, I always enjoy know, the... Uh, uh, the... Well, I was just going to say, I always enjoy the scene in uh, Blazing Saddles when he's talking to Cleavon Little, and he goes, you know, they're just people of the land, common folks, you know, <laughs> morons. <laughs> I like the, I like oh, the line. In, I like the line where he says, man, if you keep drinking like that, you're going to die. He goes, <laughs> when? <laughs> Good stuff, man, yeah. Big loss. But, uh, he was good. I got to recommend, though, and I posted this on Facebook, on my Facebook page, and and I got to recommend you guys and anybody else listening, it, uh, go back and get that 2005 interview with Terry Gross that he did. That was – I was just so moved. I cannot tell you. Uh, moved to tears, laughed hysterically at some of his stories uh, behind the production of those films. Uh, it's just – it's so good. It's Really sublime is the only word that comes to mind. It's really, really good. And they and they uh, reran that last week, and it's up on the NPR site. And you can just uh, look for the uh, the Gene Wilder Terry Gross interview, and just uh, it's just so good. It really is. Hold your breath. Make a wish. Count to three. Come with me, and you'll be in a world of pure imagination. Take a look. And you'll see into your imagination We'll begin with a spin Traveling in the world of my creation What we'll see will defy Explanation want to view paradise simply look around and view it anything you want to do it want to change the world there's nothing to it hurry up pilot this way grandpa No life I know to compare with pure imagination Living there you'll be free If you truly wish to be 
If you want to view paradise, simply look around and view it. Anything you want to do it, want to change the world, there's nothing to it. I know to compare with your imagination living there you'll be free if you truly 